Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, your American friend with a passion for British royal history. Hi, everyone. I hope everyone is doing well as best they can. On Saturday, April 17th, 2021, His Royal Highness the Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, was officially laid to rest in the Royal Vault at St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle. It was live-streamed on YouTube and other media outlets so the general public could participate in the service while being safe and because there was limited seating available because of social distancing guidelines. I have watched the service myself and it was a beautiful tribute to the late prince. While his coffin was draped with his personal royal standard, flowers, his own navy cap and sword, all of his other medals and honors were on display as well. One aspect that was also really touching was that in the 30 people allowed to attend, there were some members of Prince Philip's own side of the family present. They were not allowed to attend his wedding in 1947 as it was too soon after World War II and deemed unsafe because of tensions within the country. So it is wonderful to see that not only could his family be present, but his wish of his family being there could be honored. I do have a small correction to make from last week's episode. It's more of a clarification rather than a correction, but it still needs to be made note of. While the Duke of Edinburgh will end up in the King George VI Memorial Chapel, he won't be interred there right away. I said that he would or made it be implied that he would, but that's not completely true. Yes, he will end up there, but for the time being, he will be interred in the royal vault until the queen passes away. Once she passes away and her funeral is held, that is when the King George VI Memorial Chapel will be opened for the queen and Prince Philip. Not only will it be touching to have them reunited, but they will also be reunited with their majesties King George VI and Queen Elizabeth the Queen Mother, and Her Royal Highness Princess Margaret, the Countess of Snowdon. I wanted to make that clarification just so we all could be on the same page of understanding where the Duke will end up. It was really heartbreaking to see the Queen seated alone in her pew during the entire service, further cementing the very painful reminder that her husband, her support, her consort, her rock was now gone. Furthermore, the Prince of Wales and the Princess Royal were seen visibly upset and, in some cases, getting teary-eyed. They are more stoic in public, or if they do show emotion, it's of glee and happiness. We really don't see them be vulnerable in public. So to see them allow themselves to go there was really touching and it resonated with the public, at least with media outlets that I saw. Over the past week, a lot of really touching tributes and photographs were shared on all royal social media by other members of the family that showed moments of the Duke that had not been previously seen by the public. While the nation is no longer in mourning, the royal family will still be in mourning for the next few days. Royal work has resumed The Queen had an engagement just a few days after the death of Prince Philip, 
and engagements will continue, of course, not only as the royal family leaves mourning, but as the country continues to open up post-COVID lockdown. There was a lot of drama that occurred after the recording of last week's episode that does need to be acknowledged. There was still a lot of talk around the fact that the Duchess of Sussex was not in attendance and that they were doing their own tribute to the prince privately. The Duchess was not given medical clearance to travel the long distance from Los Angeles, California to London because of her pregnancy. She's too far along, it wouldn't be safe. But that doesn't matter, and the tabloid press really had a field day with it, speculating on their own. Additionally, there was a lot of drama around what the men were were going to be wearing. Apparently, from sources that I have read, the Duke of York was one of the first ones to initiate this big kibitz about what the men were going to be wearing. Apparently, he had really insisted on wearing military regalia and in some ways as a way to rebuild his reputation within the public and prince harry made a note of wait a minute hold on my military titles have been stripped from me this no this isn't gonna work and an argument ensued within the senior men among the royal family a decision was finally made that all men would just be wearing suits and it looked like they were wearing traditional morning suits And the royal family presented it as a way to, quote, not distract from the service and in some ways provide a unified front. But the tabloid press also got a hold of that story that there was fighting within the senior men of the royal family about what they were going to wear. While a small trivial point, it was all over the news. And did it start with the Duke of York? Did it start with the Duke of Sussex? Who knows, but there was some form of argument. All eyes were on the Duke of Cambridge and the Duke of Sussex during the procession to the chapel as this was the first time Prince Harry reunited with the family post-Oprah interview and all the fallout that has currently happened. It was released in a formal press statement about the funeral plans that they would not be walking in together. Instead, they would be separated by their cousin, the Earl of Snowden. The family did do their best to present and showcase a united front. Prince William and Prince Harry were cordial and respectful. After the Duke was lowered into his vault and the family was beginning to leave the church, Prince Harry was seen talking with the Duchess of Cambridge and everything seemed to at least be light and cordial and respectful. And Prince William shortly thereafter was seen joining the conversation before him and Catherine got into their car. Press outlets have been running with this claiming that, quote, maybe this will help bridge the gap between brothers. Maybe this is a sign that they're trying to mend things and let bygones be bygones, but we will never know the full truth. I stand by my idea that I think things are not as bad as they seem and that the media is having their field day with it, but I digress. I'm not going to get too much into it. Catherine was also seen wearing a never-before-seen-on-her necklace for the service that was a really touching tribute. All or most of the royal women at the funeral service wore pearls, as pearls hold a very special relationship within the Queen and Prince Philip. The Duchess was seen wearing a pearl and diamond choker with a matching earring set that, while made famous by Diana, Princess of Wales, but it was also a wedding present 
to the queen from Prince Philip. Commentators and other royal fashion experts have said that the Duchess of Cambridge was very clever in her selection of jewelry, not only paying tribute to the relationship of the Princess of Wales and the Duke of Edinburgh, but also paying tribute to the marriage of the Queen and Prince Philip. It was a wonderful tribute and another example of how clever royal fashion actually is. For those who are wishing to watch the funeral, if you haven't already seen it, it is up on the Royal Family official YouTube page. It will be linked in the show notes above. In closing, about the funeral itself, even with all the drama surrounding Prince William and Prince Harry, what the men are going to wear, what the procession order was, this is Prince Harry's first time being back with the family. Overall, it was an incredibly touching and wonderful tribute to Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh. It was a wonderfully run service. The music was wonderful. All this, the tributes done were very well put together. And overall, it was a very strong way to send him off into whatever awaits him. The family is still in mourning at the time of recording, and they are still going through the grieving process. Grieving looks different for everyone, so at least try to still be respectful as best you can. They are a family after all. I've heard from some sources and commentators that we should expect things to change within the royal family going forward. The past two and a half years have been a lot for the royal family. A lot has happened. First, there was the big scandal with Prince Andrew and Jeffrey Epstein and ultimately his withdrawal from royal work. Then Prince Harry and Meghan left, and now the death of Prince Philip. With all uh, with all three of these happening and a lot of reshuffling of the cards, things are expected to change within the firm. It is said that the Queen, Prince Charles, and Prince William have all been in discussions about how things are going to change going forward and what the family will look like. There have been a lot of rumors buzzing around that there may be slimming down for the working royals, but that is a rumor that has been present for quite a few years now, even before the initial scandal with Prince Andrew. Prince Edward and Sophie, the Earl and Countess of Wessex, maybe and are forecasted to be getting more work. And of course, there's no doubt that uh, Prince Charles and Camilla, as well as Prince William and Catherine, will be getting more work as well. The Queen is getting older so she can only do so much. And so now we're really seeing the passing of the torch of engagements and patronages and charities and the whatnot. Of course, we, the general public, do not know what's going on behind closed doors. They keep those meetings very much under lock and key. So who knows what's going on, what's being talked about. But that is what the experts that are there are saying. Clearly, I am not there. Before we get into today's episode, if you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share wherever it is that you're listening. That really helps the podcast and the podcast family continue to grow and flourish. If you want to suggest topics for future episodes or let me know how I'm doing so I can continue to improve the show, you can go ahead and drop me an email at BritishRoyalFanPod at gmail.com. I welcome all suggestions and feedback so I can make this the best I can. Additionally, if you want to donate to the podcast, there are links on Twitter at fanatic underscore royal, as well as on the Anchor homepage. If you feel so inclined to support, no pressure. I'm very grateful for anything you can contribute, and you will get a personal shout out on the show, as well as anything else I can do to make it worth your while. 
Yesterday was Her Majesty the Queen's actual birthday. Happy birthday, Your Majesty. April 21st, 1926. She does have a, quote, second birthday within the United Kingdom and elsewhere within the Commonwealth, which is standard for most sovereigns of England. Most of them have birthdays when the weather's really cold, and it's not deemed appropriate for celebrations within the Commonwealth and within the UK as it's too cold. So instead, a tradition that began with King George II of a official birthday within the United Kingdom and Commonwealth, which is known in England as the Trooping the Color, which is typically held in June. It was canceled last year, and it is again canceled this year because of social distancing guidelines, and currently the COVID pandemic is still very much having its hands around England at this time. But today, we are celebrating on her actual birthday. The queen is celebrating her 95th birthday, but in order to celebrate it and talk about a little bit happier time, we're going to be turning back the clock and spending time with Her Majesty when she was just a little princess. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The book The Little Princesses was published in 1950 and was written by the governess to the then Princess Elizabeth and Princess Margaret, Marion Crawford. It has been reprinted many times, and within the pages are collections of private photos that have not been previously seen by the public. The publishing of this book was incredibly controversial in its time, as it resulted in Crawford being sacked on the spot and never allowed back in the royal circle again. At this point in history, the personal lives of the royals were never discussed or talked about in the media, unless it was for a very specific charity, an announcement of a birthday or an engagement, or an incredibly large scandal, such as the abdication of 1936. The foreword of the book is written by Jeannie Bond, a former BBC royal correspondent and journalist. Within the foreword, Bond makes a point that this book could have actually been a PR stunt gone awry by the firm themselves. Of course, we will never know the full story, but Bond discusses how at the time of the publication, there were talks about releasing some articles and other writings about the family to help with their overall approval ratings. Crawford was allegedly asked by the Queen Mother to help, but she was to remove her name and keep the writings anonymous. Well, that didn't really happen. Crawford's name appeared, she took the blame, and was then ousted by the family for letting the light shine in from behind the curtain. Of course, even if this wasn't a PR stunt gone bad, the family had no idea that Crawford had written this book. They were just as aloof as the rest of the public. So when they see that the governess wrote a book publishing the private lives of the king and queen's children, it was no surprise that upon its publication that she was sacked. Why is this book so important? 
Why are we talking about it? Why was it so controversial? Well, it does discuss in grave detail the personal lives of not only the king and queen, but it more importantly focuses in impeccable detail about the childhood of the queen and Princess Margaret. By all accounts, and with the book to reinforce it, the queen had quite a loving and fantastic childhood. Even with the abdication and World War II, it was filled with warmth, loving and devoted parents, and an array of fun times and memories with her younger sister. As a child, Queen Elizabeth and her parents, then known as their royal highnesses the Duke and Duchess of York, lived at 145 Piccadilly in London. Sadly, most of the house doesn't exist anymore as it didn't survive the Blitz. During its time, it was a cozy, welcoming family home with the schoolroom and nursery at the top floor with a massive dome that overlooked the city. When not there, they would spend time at the Royal Lodge at Windsor Castle. Crawford was known within the family as Croffy, and we can credit Princess Elizabeth for giving her that name. Croffy was brought on as a governess after working for a Scottish noble family near her home. Her name eventually reached the Duke and Duchess, and they were curious. They were looking for someone younger to be their governess so their daughters could have a happy childhood filled with good memories and when they were older they could look back and remember happily at their times with their governess rather than in anguish because their governess was older and wouldn't let them have fun. It was very strict. It's known that His Majesty King George VI did not have the most positive of experiences with his governess as a child so it makes sense that he would want something different and better for his daughters. They did catch a lot of speculation and concern from not only those within the firm, most notably uh, the king's parents, their majesties King George V and Queen Mary, as well as other members within the court, but they stuck to their guns and ultimately was better for the children. While at times during her childhood she was kept away from other children outside the royal family, the queen really didn't seem to mind. She had a pretty fantastic childhood overall, and things really started to get more fun once Margaret was old enough to be moved out of the nursery and into the care of Croffy. The family was really close to the Earl and Countess of Leicester, and they spent a fair amount of time at Holcomb Hall and with the Earl and Countess's children. They would become lifelong friends, and Lady Anne Cook, also known as Lady Anne Tennant, also the Baroness Glen Connor, she would go on to be one of Princess Margaret's ladies-in-waiting for around 30 years. And if you want to hear some fun stories about her with Princess Margaret and also with the Queen as children, you can read it in her book, Lady in Waiting, My Life in the Shadow of the Crown. They would run around Holcomb and play games and hide and seek, and many other fun memories were created when the young princesses would play with Lord Leicester's children. Every morning, the princesses Elizabeth and Margaret would wake up and run to their parents' room for early morning playtime and fun. The morning ritual of private family time would last until Princess Elizabeth married and moved out. The king and queen were adamant about making sure that this time with the family stayed consistent in their schedules even when they assumed their new duties as sovereign and consort. They took their children in the overall family dynamic very seriously, which was different from sovereigns previous at this time. And eventually, when war hit England with World War II and the family had to be separated, Croffy was the one that they ran to in the mornings to fill that void of their parents not being there. After family fun time and breakfast, what did the rest of her day look like? Well, now it's time for school, and this is where her lessons in schoolwork started. 
Queen Mary aided Croffy in her curriculum in establishing what the princesses should focus on. Subjects such as French, arithmetic, history, geography, literature, and poetry were just some of the focuses very early on. But once things changed in 1936, Elizabeth's plan of study changed as well. From then on, she now had an even greater focus on history, geography, and the interworkings of the Constitution. She would go off to Eton College and study the Constitution and other governmental workings under the charge of Sir Henry Martin. As a child, she spent a vast amount of time reading, as books were quite a common gift for her and her sister. During the war, and when the king and queen would go off on tours without the children, Croffy noted that while it was very nice and refreshing to not have interruptions and they could just focus on their curriculum and really get a lot done, but it got very overwhelming at times. During the war, she had to call in help from a French tutor and another teacher that she was friends with to help divide the work and divide the time so that Croffy could manage the children better, the children could get the education that they needed, and above all, it just made life simpler. Of course, the queen didn't really have any formal standard tests like there are in boarding schools and as what we know as education systems today, but she did have access to great tutors, great textbooks, and other great resources. It may seem like her education was a little bit lacking and simple, but it was what was deemed necessary by her parents in the firm. When Croffy was first presented to their majesties King George V and Queen Mary, the king had one simple request. Please make sure that the girls can write in a good hand. He complained very briefly about how his own children did not have the best penmanship, so he put his desire forth to Croffy. Queen Mary came to Croffy's aid when she needed help regarding curriculum, if what she was doing was good enough to prepare the princess, and so forth. However, the queen did always seem to complain that there was never enough history or foreign language. One thing to keep in mind at first glance is that King George VI was of course never intended to be king. His elder brother did such a great job at being the heir and Prince of Wales that it really wasn't deemed necessary to train him in being sovereign because all eyes were on the Prince of Wales. So therefore, at the time when the queen was really young, they gauged what they thought was necessary. But then once things changed, they then re-evaluated the situation and made sure that the queen got the training she needed in order to be an adequate sovereign, which is something that her father didn't really receive and he had to learn on the fly. When the family moved into Buckingham Palace, it was a really sad day for them. 145 Piccadilly was their home. It was a dream that they didn't want to wake up from. When they moved into the palace, Croffy made note of how it was vastly different from what she had expected. Instead of a wonderful, lavish palace, it was more of a museum. Rats were everywhere, it was cold, it was damp. While it had been updated during George V and Queen Mary, it still needed more work. She was very far away from the girls, and it was vastly different from 145 Piccadilly. In getting the schoolroom set up, the king showed Croffy where the classroom would be, which was somewhere on one of the upper floors towards the front portion of the palace that overlooks the front gates. It was cold, damp, dark, and had no real sunlight, and Croffy immediately didn't really like it. She wasn't alone there, as feelings of his own trauma re-manifested itself by walking into the room, so the king decided that 
maybe the schoolroom needs to be in a different place. Instead, the schoolroom was near the gardens and far away from the public, which ultimately was good for the little royal children. They had access to the gardens and their schoolroom, which ultimately made for better school days. It's known that Princess Elizabeth was overall a very good student and a very disciplined child in her own right. Croffy made note that she always had a sense of duty and seriousness from a very young child, and she was very methodical about how she handled herself. As she began to approach adolescence, it's known that Princess Elizabeth would wake up in the middle of the night to be sure that her shoes were all in the right order, her clothes were still nice, her room was still in order, and everything was still methodically organized and exactly how it should be. Which took a while and some playful teasing from Princess Margaret in order to help her break that habit. During Christmas planning and all the chaos that goes into Christmas time, Princess Elizabeth would help keep Princess Margaret organized about what gifts were given, who they were given by, and who needed thank you notes. She helped keep her sister organized in that regard. When it was time for the coronation for her parents, she went to Croffy and expressed concern and worry about Princess Margaret at the coronation, expressing worry about her either throwing a fit making too much noise, or the possibility of making a scene, Princess Elizabeth then took charge over her and was a caretaker during this incredibly historic event. After all the pomp and circumstance of the coronation and the countless hours of photographs, Princess Elizabeth never complained and stayed composed and together the entire time. Croffy asked once all of this was over if Margaret was well behaved, and Princess Elizabeth sighed and very happily said yes. Yes, she was. And then off to bed they went. So with all this talk of her education and the strictness that Princess Elizabeth seemed to have in her life in the schoolroom, what did she do for fun? What did she do when she wasn't being very serious? Well, to start, she loved her toy horses. When in doubt, aside from books, people would give her toy horses to play with. No matter what, they were always kept in very pristine order. They all had a name, and they all had a place in a little stall. They were played with very frequently, and no matter what, at the end of the day, they were fed, they were watered, and they were put neatly back into their stalls so that they could, quote, rest and sleep. It is said that all the horses that Queen Elizabeth played with as a child are still at Buckingham Palace waiting to be played with again. While a very serious child, Princess Elizabeth did have some meltdowns and some difficult times. It's known that her and Princess Margaret would both playfully fight back and forth in and out of the classroom, and from having a sibling myself, I can very much understand that. It's very typical sibling bickering. One time during a French lesson, Princess Elizabeth had had her fill and she couldn't focus anymore, and she decided that she was done. So she took the inkwell off the table and dumped the dark ink all over her head. Croffy heard the French tutor scream in surprise, and upon entering the classroom, she found a Princess Elizabeth covered in ink, and she had to be taken care of very quickly, or else the mess would have gotten significantly worse. There are many accounts of a lot of fun and creativity that Princess Elizabeth had as a very young child. As a young girl, she would ride Croffy like a horse, bridle and all, and drive her all around her imaginary town and deliver make-believe groceries to imaginary townsfolk. She would direct Croffy on where to go and also how to behave, even going so far as, uh, quote, Winnie and look a little bit anxious so we can leave when she was talking to an imaginary townsperson that was possibly talking a little bit too long. 
Elizabeth and Margaret would frequently play in the gardens at either 145 Piccadilly or at Buckingham Palace. At one point, Elizabeth fell into one of the ponds on the palace grounds because she was really curious about the geese that were on the property. Drenched in water from head to toe and covered in mud and other grime, they snuck back into the palace as quickly as they could to clean her up. While the family got a decent laugh out of it, the family nurse, Alak, who had helped care for Princess Elizabeth as, as a young baby, really wasn't thrilled <laughs> at the fact that Princess Elizabeth went into a pond. The princesses Elizabeth and Margaret had quite an impressive playhouse near the Royal Lodge at Windsor that was gifted to them by the people of Wales. It was this massive playhouse that had running water and electricity, and it actually still stands to this day, and some of the Queen's children and grandchildren have played in it. Princess Elizabeth was very diligent about keeping the house very clean and organized when they finished playing in it. The furniture was covered with dust cloth, the silver and other um, eating utensils were wrapped in newspaper to keep them clean and to prevent any tarnish and she made sure that all the play food or real food was all put neatly away before they left for for the day under her care that playhouse was always in tip-top shape as children princesses elizabeth and margaret always seemed to awe and fill the king's heart with pride and joy with everything they did during swim lessons that they took and as, a, as an aside, they eventually got certified in life-saving procedures. They did so in a public swimming pool with the general public. They could have easily requested that the pool be closed, but ultimately, they decided not to and to actually have the children interact with all the other children. When the king would come and watch them, he would be in awe about just how easy it was for them to do things like this in public. Elizabeth had no issues with public speaking, performing small little plays and pantomimes with her sister, singing and playing music, entertaining, and above all, doing things that scared the king. It seemed that they could do things that he couldn't do, which always impressed him and made him proud as a father. Even from a very young age, uh, Princess Elizabeth was destined to be a fantastic asset to the crown. Fun adventures were enjoyed by Princess Elizabeth, even though they might seem a little weird to us, the general public. Crawfee once took Princesses Elizabeth and Margaret on a trip on the subway after they kept asking. All they wanted was just a trip on the subway. They took their own money in tow, paid for their own tickets, but they were secretly accompanied by a security guard and a lady in waiting to make, be sure they were safe. Everything would have gone without a hitch. However, the security guard was a little too obvious and people began to be concerned. Once the princesses spotted him and they figured everything out, it wasn't soon after that the general public began to figure out that someone important was on the subway and it was deemed too dangerous for the princesses to finish the journey on the subway and they had to finish the rest of their journeys in a private car called from the palace. While it was a very short-lived adventure, it seemed like they were in awe the entire time. Princess Elizabeth really enjoyed looking out the top window and through the dome at 145 Piccadilly to see the horses on the street and those that were training nearby. She really enjoyed watching the horses work during the wintertime and made note that it was very enticing to see the steam roll off the horses in winter if they were working really hard. Even as a child, she was very upset about how the horses training nearby seemed to be working all days, all hours, no matter what, and didn't seem to have a day off. 
She made a formal declaration to Crawfee that if she were to be queen one day, she would demand that those horses would have at least Sunday off to rest. When the family eventually moved into Buckingham Palace and her parents assumed their roles as sovereign and consort, one thing that they had to do was the debutante presentations at the start of the social season. When these debutante presentations took place, Princess Elizabeth and Princess Margaret would look down on the balconies at the palace and be in awe, not only at their family being dressed in their best with their gowns and their jewels and their sashes and military orders, they were also in awe and were very fascinated by those being presented at court. They really fell in love with their aunt, Her Royal Highness Princess Marina, the Duchess of Kent. She had a sense of style and fashion that the little royal daughters looked up to. For them, it was quite a fun pastime to watch these events happen at the palace, even if they could only participate from from afar. Apparently, it was really difficult to get them to go to bed at night, and they would stay up to the wee hours in the morning, watching to see when the last car would eventually leave the palace. As she progressed into her late childhood and eventually her early adolescence, her sense of duty and commitment to service really kicked in. She helped bring the Girl Guides and eventually the Brownies to Buckingham Palace and to the Windsor Estate during the war. When she, Princess Margaret, Crawfee, and the little staff they had were stuck in Scotland at the beginning of the war in order to keep them safe, she helped Crawfee organize various sewing parties to help the war effort and... She really helped pass out food and entertain, even if she wasn't the formal hostess. During World War II, when they were stationed at Windsor Castle, Crawfee did let her take on more responsibilities of entertaining and organizing some of these events, and she did so with ease. No matter where she went, she always seemed to know and find a way to help others and really fulfill her sense of internal duty. As the queen got older, her relationship with not only her sister, but her parents continued to improve and get better. Like a fine wine, it got better with age. Even when she found her husband and started a family of her own, her closeness to her family was something that not only she took very seriously, but never changed. Crawfee's book highlights a wonderful childhood with devoting parents who showed them love and affection, gave them the attention they needed, and a childhood filled with a good education that helped prepare her to be a monarch, a governess who allowed children to play and be children, and above all, a family that liked to have fun and interact with one another. It catalogs a childhood filled with fun adventures and a pretty wonderful immediate royal family. Regardless of the intent, because overall, it showcased the family in quite a positive light, this was what got Crawfee kicked out from the royal circle. Yes, it shows a wonderful family, a different family dynamic than what had previously been seen by the royal family at that time. It doesn't matter. She told personal secrets and personal stories that she wasn't really at liberty to talk about. And if this book was to be released today, it would have a vastly different effect on the family. It humanized them. It made these little princesses daughters like everybody else. It made the king and queen look human. What's ironic about this book is not 20 years later, there'd be the famous royal family documentary that would do just that. Let the light in from behind the curtain and showcase the family for what they, for what and who they really are. And eventually, it started a pattern of slowly showcasing the personal lives of the royal family. Who knows what would happen if something similar like this were to happen in today's world. I would highly recommend reading this book to better understand why the queen is how she is. It has wonderful photos, it's well written, but now I feel like I have a better understanding 
understanding of the queen. It talks about happy memories and happy times of a childhood from a bygone era. Today, I wanted to showcase the queen's childhood in a much happier time in her in her life to celebrate her 95th birthday. I very much agree with her parents in that they gave her a childhood that she could look back on with happiness and glee as she got older. Happy birthday, your majesty. I hope you have a good one and you look back at this period in your life with smiles. I hope your birthday was a good one. Given the circumstances, I know they're not ideal, but happy late birthday. My sources for today's episode is the book, The Little Princesses by Marion Crawford. If you made it this far, thank you for stopping by the podcast today. If you would like to recommend topics for future episodes or let me know how I'm doing so I can improve the podcast, drop me a line at britishroyalfanpod at gmail.com. Any and all suggestions are welcome. If you want to stay up to date with the podcast and events happening within the royal family, head on over to Twitter and follow me at fanatic underscore royal. I do my best to post regularly and interact with all of you guys as best I can. If you want to donate to help support the podcast, there are links on Anchor and on the Twitter homepage. Any and all donations are much appreciated and they will directly improve the podcast. Also, let me know if a PayPal link would be much easier. The links on Twitter and on Anchor are monthly recurring payments, and if that's not something you want to do, but you still want to support the podcast, let me know if a PayPal link for a one-time donation would be much better. Anything at all, recommendations to improve the podcast are welcome here. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to rate, review, and subscribe. The more you do, the more people can see the show and join the podcast family. Have a great rest of your week. Stay safe and healthy, and I will see you in the next one.